0: You can't put the
1: crossing towards our button device. history making moments. Delivered by the biggest superstar. A goal the country has been dreaming of for
2: decades. Finally arrives. You're listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Ben Steiner, Peter Belindo, and Alexander Gangay Ruzich. Welcome back into episode 107 of the Northern Football Podcast, and for the first time in over three months, all three of us are actually recording in the same room. We're all back in Toronto, center of the universe, like some people might call it, but please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and follow on social wherever you're listening or tuning into our podcast. Peter, Alex... Some good food before this podcast, as oh. you guys would have seen on social, yeah. but we're actually back in the same room.
0: We, we are, and really the only reason we're all here is for the food. Let's be real. Like, at least that's why I mostly come here. It's just for the food, and and your company, Ben, too. That's also up there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was going to eat it anyway, so nothing changed for me in that regard, so pleasure to have you on board. Oh, it was
0: magnificent.
1: We haven't even had dessert yet.
0: No, it's true. We also have pie waiting for us as well. Maybe we'll pause mid-recording and have
2: that. Well, as you would have seen on our social media there was a little bit of a smoke scare or heated analysis happening before the podcast as well a little bit of troubles with our oven but everything okay and we're ready to record and we'll get right into the she believes cup roster a big month for canadian women's soccer coming up and the canadian women's soccer team announced their pre-camp squad ahead of the she believes cup last week and some people were a little bit shocked not to see a lot of the European names on the list. It did come out that this is a North American-based list Mm -hmm. and the European names will be added later. Beth Priestman was very adamant to ensure that those (laughs) names would be added later to some people who had some very quick conclusions to the first roster announcement. And we'll get into this roster as well. It's very North American heavy, players like Jordan Heidma on the roster, but also some European players like Evelyn Vienz and Mm -hmm. and Clarissa Laracy, both of them playing in Sweden, of course, and making their way back to the Canadian Women's National Team camp. But a competitive roster for a tournament that Canada would want to win, and the fact that Jenna Hellstrom's in there as well pleasantly
0: surprised me because I think I mentioned what was it a week or two ago that you know she could be like a dark horse play possibly for the World Cup. So the fact that she's at least under consideration is nice to see. But really, no shocker form with Dijon's been very very good the last month or so. So she definitely deserves this. But yeah, there's really no reason to panic when it comes to some of the European players because. They're obviously the ones who can arrive to the camp sooner. The European players are in season. So, all the more reason to kind of get a bit of a head start once those Euro players come in and, and join the camp. So, plus, she can also maybe take a look at one or two names that might be on the bubble, Hellstrom being possibly one of them.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Vanessa Gilles as well. Good to see her back. First time since uh, the final of the CONCACAF Championships, that she'll be back in That's the cool. fold. Uh, she had some injuries. So, it's good that she was able to leave Lyon. Uh, Where she's impressed, the brass, they're loving her and looking to extend her loan or maybe even make it permanent. So good to see Gilles back. Otherwise, uh, you know, pretty North American heavy, not many surprises. I think mostly the ones to keep an eye on from this group are the NCAA ones, just because they're not going to be playing competitively until the summer and when there is their League One seasons, if not if any of them turn pro so it's going to be interesting to see already a few of them haven't played in a while how sharp they'll be Because uh, you look at someone like simia wujo based on her form last year she could she'd arguably be mm-hmm. in the world cup squad if it was announced today so you're going to want to keep her momentum going especially uh heading into a very complicated few months for for her and the other ncaa players you add in a few other interesting names, like Amanda Allen, very long shot at 17, 18 years old. But she impressed in her, her short stint in November. So, again, you'd want to see more mm-hmm. of her and, and, of course, some of the other uh, college-based players. So, you know, like Jade Rose, of course, which we know we uh, that what she can do. So, interesting little group, mostly regulars. Uh, a lot of players on the cusp. Victoria Pickett as well. Mm-hmm. Looks like FIFA's steadfast on the 23-player roster, um, which is ridiculous. But... Mm-hmm. Hey, if they're going to stick with that, you're going to need to start narrowing down names in a a lot of these group uh, stands to to be in a good
2: battle for their spots. And one of the locks for the team when the World Cup's round is likely going to be Desiree Scott, but there's a little bit of a worry now with Desiree Scott announcing that she's injured for the next little while. And that's a question from wsoccer.ca at wsoccer.ca. With Desi out injured, how are you expecting Canada to shut down Rose Develle against the States in a couple of weeks?
1: Yeah, I mean, Desiree Scott always a loss in terms of pure defensive impact but honestly I'm not worried because I think this is again this is time to really let Quinn shine in the midfield because honestly they're best Canada's best peer number six especially when you add the passing because one thing that's great with Scott is you're going to get her positional solidity her tackling but you know it's not necessarily the 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 expansive passing range she's developed a lot as she's gotten older to this good quick short passes but when Quinn's on the field they can really stretch the field, really get the their other midfielders involved, get the wingers with some long pings that Desiree Scott might not be able to hit. So when I'm looking against a U.S. team that's very flexible, very you know they're gonna press hard. That's the way they play under Vlatko. Uh, I'm not even gonna attempt to pronounce his name right now. And Douravitch is, I think is not, actually not even that bad. But you know how they're gonna press. We saw it in the Concacaf Championships final. I think if you play a midfield of Quinn with Grosso and Fleming in front of them. Stretch the field a little, a bit, have that technical quality in midfield. I think Canada will benefit from it because in that Concacaf Championship game, I'm trying to remember who started. I think Scott may have started in that game, and it was it you know it was a bit of a, a struggle for Canada and how things ended up going for them. So I think if they can switch that that midfield composition, it, it could end up proving beneficial.
2: Of course, the She Believes Cup starting a big year for the Canadian national team in women's soccer. First the She Believes Cup, then of course the approach and the world cup as well and then ending the year with olympic qualifiers a home and home against jamaica but moving on to the men's side there's a report that the 2025 gold cup could have games hosted in canada and mexico as potential test events as they gear up to the 2026 world cup cocky cap president victor montagliani told christian jack that they were hoping to stage a test event before the world cup so this could potentially be it a lot of these stadiums are ready to host mega events they regularly host nfl every week cfl i mean mega event if you will um and mls games so they they're ready to host these events and of course the canadian and mexican venues aren't going to be hosting many events per se but still hosting an international tournament would would Push it to the World Cup events.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, plus you've got Vancouver, who's hosted the Olympics before, and other major events in the past. So you feel like they're going to be pretty well-versed in this. But Very it, different stadium,
2: to be fair. It's a completely yeah. retrofitted stadium. They've well, never hosted an event like this at the new BC Place. That's
0: true, yes, because that happened in 2011. The renovation's finished. So, yeah, this... the final
2: in 2015, though, the
0: That's Cup true. Final. The Women's World Cup was there. That was like the hub for the tournament, so... But I feel like it's going to be more so for Toronto, I, I feel, mm-hmm. just because it, it, it's been, what, seven years since they posted hosted a major event. Like the Pan Am Games, I think was really the last time they hosted like an international event to this level. Plus so, the stadium's going to be like
1: twice as big as it was then or whatever.
2: Yeah, like, and even that. Event. you got
0: to see how it's going to work. And, and then, even that yeah.
1: tournament was in Hamilton
2: for the most part.
0: Well, the the soccer was, for sure, and some events, other events as well, and really spread across the southern Ontario in general. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense to do it this way. I think we always anticipated it would be something like this, because I don't know if they would have been able to, like, schedule some sort of tournament. And even the year before, you're going to have the U.S. hosting Copa America, so you're going to kind of realize, all right, what's it going to be like having different fans flying into the U.S. and then traveling to all these games, getting reaccustomed to that? So it'll help them in that regard, too.
1: Yeah, the BMO field one is key, especially uh, because I think Vancouver, there's no doubt they can host an event like that. I think you can extend that to Monterey as well. The stadium's world-class and hosts a lot of great events. You look at Mexico City with the Azteca. You know, all I think all the stadiums are pretty much intact. But one thing as well with BMO, as we saw during qualifiers, there's a lot of little issues they need to work out, like Panama Canada the lines all the way almost out to Lake Ontario, they cannot have that at a World Cup. So that's going to be another sort of thing to test, like the traffic congestion. To
0: be be fair though, I feel like vaccine passports were Mm -hmm. a major issue there. Like a lot of venues I feel had that issue. Just getting people in, checking all the passports and and whatnot. It might be less of a problem, but the fact that you're going to then expand the capacity. Well, that's it. And then are you going to have adequate staff to be able to check everybody's tickets? Transit. And that's a very congested part of town like everybody who lives in Toronto or has been to BMO Field knows how difficult it can be to get to especially when there's a massive crowd of people so yeah I, I, I guess it still stands regardless
1: and there's been other events too where there's not been a vaccine passport and that's been a common theme at BMO it's, yeah, you know, they always in head early and I think that's it's going to be a chance to test that, you know, Vancouver's got the stadium infrastructure where it's like there's entrances. You can get in the stadium. <laughs>
0: Everything yeah. leads to BC Place. Yeah. yeah, whereas
1: BMO, it's very like one-sided. You can only really get there from like one side. It's either you come out the tunnel at exhibition or yeah. you come from the, the the east, I guess it is, like along the lakeshore. Yeah, and that's like, a bit weird in terms of a, a bottleneck setup. Whereas yeah. BC Place, you can come around. Monterrey, I went to uh, the Stadio BBVA World Class Stadium. So Looks easy lucky. to access. Yeah. Uh, super easy to get into, so I have no doubts those stadiums will be
2: well-equipped. I'm excited for the World Cup to be in Toronto, but I just can't imagine the Exhibition Go station handling World Cup crowds. There's basically oh no God, public yeah. transit out to BMO Field, so it's going to be interesting. It's not too far of a walk from the downtown core, but you've got to imagine there's going to be a lot of shuttles. You're going to have fan sure. zones around that, yeah. Um, but the transportation is very difficult to get to BMO Field for mm. people who don't want to walk 40 minutes from the downtown core. No, exactly. And getting into the Canucks Abroad roundup slash mailbag, a reminder that Northern Football Podcast is proudly partnered with Canucks Abroad. Find the full Canadian player pool and daily schedules for Canadians in action at canucks-abroad.ca. Alfonso Davies had an assist and went the full 90 for Bayern Munich in a 4-2 win over Wolfsburg on Sunday. He also scored off the bench midweek in a German Cup victory against Mainz. Despite that, Davies had some questionable turnovers and defensive lapses against Wolfsburg, so Julian Nagelsmann was asked about his post-World Cup form. At his age, it's normal not to play at your highest level all the time. There are phases where not everything works well. He'll be back to his normal level soon, Nagelsmann said. And a question from Scarlett H at Draw RAF Davies gets another header goal. I think he's been more valuable on the end of set pieces than taking him himself. Obviously, that Croatia
0: game aside, like, the man can jump. And it is actually quite funny how on defensive set pieces, he can be a weakness in that area, yet on attacking set pieces, he's so potent, or even just in the air while attacking the ball, he's so lethal. So yeah, I feel like that that is something that he should be utilized in more, because clearly he has the ability to.
1: Yeah, well, the defensive set piece one, that's just more awareness than anything I think of that goalie allowed Two weeks ago against want to say it wasn't Leipzig. It was their second game. Whoever they ended up playing, Not Frankfurt. Frankfurt, yeah. That was one where he's just, he just he was just falling asleep at the back post. But when he's engaged, it was a good point that someone put out there. I don't. I want to credit whoever I saw it from. It must have been on Twitter or something. That Alistair Johnston mentioned that back when you know when he was a young lad, uh, one Cristiano Ronaldo was in a sense you know a strapping, fast winger known for his quick trickery his quick feet. You know, Alfonso Davies himself, uh, a former winger, certainly hasn't lost his speed or his trickery. One thing that Cristiano Ronaldo always had was the leaping. And then as he grew older, he became a fantastic leaper of the ball. As we saw, he, he held the Serie A record for highest leap until just a few days ago when Victor Oshimen broke it by a couple of centimeters. So obviously that's a, that's a good point that a guy like Davies, if you know how to jump and you, you learn how to time your your leaps, learn how to get your head onto the ball, uh, he could be a very effective uh, header of, of, on set pieces. And I think for Canada, based on what we've seen, yeah, if, in terms of the deliveries, it seems to be Stefan uh
2: post now. And I think having an extra threat in the box like Davies uh, wouldn't hurt. Jonathan David, logged 84 minutes, two shots and a key pass in Lille's 3-1 win over Ren on Saturday. And from Dan at Rocket underscore Footy, Curious about your thoughts regarding a theoretical move of Jonathan David to Bayern Munich. In my opinion, he's a pressing machine who makes so many intelligent runs behind defenders, which would free up a scoring party for Bayern's wingers slash midfield. Much better option than Chupamonte.
0: I think he'd also be viewed, though, as a wide player. And when I say wide, I'm putting air quotes over that. Because at Bayern, their wingers are basically inside forwards who become 10s at times, and then that allows the fullbacks like Davies to get forward and do their thing. That's not to say he wouldn't be a fit as a number nine. I still think he would be because everything that was said is correct, especially given Bayern's tendency to play vertically, play on the front foot and at pace, which David, or David, I should say, always thrives under. But I think it would make more logical sense to have him in one of those wide forward roles if he were to go to Bayern, that is. Because when you look at his best strengths and then consider that Bayern does go up against deep, compact blocks 90% of the time in the league, I think that that would just allow David to have more free movement. He wouldn't be kind of isolated up top. He wouldn't have to keep dropping deep and then therefore maybe compromising the shape and what have you. Plus there's the other aspect of can Bayern afford the wages plus the transfer fee. They've been happy paying higher fees for younger players in recent years. You look at Matthias De you look at... Dayu Upamecano, Lucas Hernandez, uh, Leroy Sané, you can say whether some of those players have been successful or not, but they haven't been afraid to spend the cash on players who, at the time, deserve it. So I guess we'll see.
1: I mean, counterpoint, though, one thing watching, especially peak Robert Lewandowski at Bayern times, is of course Robert Lewandowski's finishing the goals, you see that, but what was remarkable to me was how much of a reference point he was in the attack and He'd pop up in midfield, he'd pop out on the wing, and I think that does suit Jonathan David. And I think that's something they felt they've lost with, with you know, Chupa moting and I think that's why you saw a lot of Sadio Mane leading the line, because he's similar in that way, where he'll drop deep, he'll get involved, uh, and it's more just Chupo moting being the exception of just being a pure number nine, getting in the box, making those... Sort of run. So I do think, in terms of when Bayern wants to play and what what they've done when they've had everyone healthy, they've typically preferred strikers who can be a reference point, someone who can get involved. And I think that, as we know, screams Jonathan David's game. So I have no doubt that he would suit Bayern's system as Jad. Just a matter of fit. Just a matter of you know how what where they they view someone like Matisse Tell, Just because given Mm -hmm. how rapid his development's been. And you know what they paid for him in his age. So he's twenty million, and he's only eighteen. They might not want to pay, invest heavy money on another young striker. Mm-hmm. But you know, if we're talking pure fit, I think David would make a lot of sense uh, in a Bayern system.
2: EK Ugo was back in Trois matchday squad, but was an unused substitute in Saturday's three-one loss to Leon. Another game, another game-winning goal for Kyle Laren. He came off the bench and scored the winner in Real Valladolid's one 0 victory over Real Sociedad. Mark Carveo at IggyFan2001, obviously Kyle Aaron is not going to keep scoring at a 3.9 goals per 90 pace. (laughs) But with what you see on the pitch and what you see in the numbers, is him scoring at a somewhat regular basis sustainable, or is this just an incredibly lucky start for him? I would consider 0.4 goals per 90 somewhat regular. Well, for starters,
0: I think part of his success early is mental, because he's playing again, he's scoring... And when he feels confidence, he's like a runaway freight train, guys. Like, good luck stopping him, right? Tactically, he's been playing as the lone nine. He's been given the freedom to to kind of drift outside whenever he sees fit. Like, for example, when the wingers are back defending and there's no outlet to the wings, he shifts over there, receives a long outlet pass, holds up the ball, waits for others to join him, and then lays it off, makes a late run into the box. So all these, like, tactical fits working. He's pressing aggressively, working hard off the ball, reading the pressing triggers quickly, and he's always been diligent with that. He always has worked hard off the ball. So I feel all of that put together has endeared him to this strong start in a lot of ways. Now, he's eventually going to regress to the mean, obviously. He can't maintain this level of scoring, but he's shown a trend of being able to continue scoring regularly when he's used somewhat regularly. So if we go into the numbers. He does get into prime areas. He's averaged anywhere from 0.37 to 0.4 expected goals per 90 in his career since 2017. The two seasons where he overachieved expected goals were 2020-21 when he was among the top scorers in Turkey with Besiktas and then his final year with Orlando in 2017, which is obviously what led to him getting the move to Europe in the first place. Usually when he's a regular starter and playing well, he is going to overachieve expected goals because the man is lethal especially in the air when he is feeling it. Like, look at both of his goals. In the air, off of headers, really well-timed runs, aggressive, and that's what you want to see from him. So he's going to get into good positions, even if he only ends up with one or two shots a game, which tends to be what he gets. It's just whether he'll convert them, but there is a much greater chance he does when he's confident and playing regular.
1: Well, I'm going to have to clarify, he hasn't scored a header yet. He One was with his foot and the other one was with well, his in shoulder. Well, I should say. <laughs> so just, but you know what I mean. Yeah, just, like, kinda, no, just messing with you on that one. But in terms of Laren, what I think is more remarkable, and yeah, I don't think he's going to keep up 3.9 goals per 90 if he does. I think Real Madrid's going to call. I think Barcelona's going to call, so I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> but what I do find remarkable about his hot start is it's just more than just the goals and the numbers. Because we've seen this from Laren before. You can mm-hmm. run hot... He can have these purple patches. What I find remarkable is just how seamlessly he's fit into the Valadoyed yes. system. And yeah. what I know that's almost interesting is having watched him at his rare stint at Bruges. <laughs> and then, of course, having watched him at Besiktas. Even there, he didn't fit at either of those teams to the extent. Because at, at, yeah. at, at, at Besiktas, when he led the line, he was often a ghost. Because yes. the way they played was often wide heavy. Go through uh-huh. the wingers. Uh, you know he'd be an isolated figure up top so why did why did he get success he went out on the wing inside left and he got more touches he would sneak in at the back post a lot mm-hmm. but there were some games i remember Champions League 20 uh 21 22 to, where he was struggling yes. just leading the line and then Bruges, same thing lead the line but they're very wing heavy midfield mm-hmm. heavy mm-hmm. He wasn't getting touches what i've noticed at Valladolid is like, goal kicks are coming to him. They're yes. aiming goal kicks yeah, at him. Yeah. They're aiming balls up, you know, these yeah. long balls where he just gets touches. He gets to yeah. kind of lead the line and stay involved. And what's been remarkable is watch both of his goals for Valladolid. What happens is the first one, it was he brings it down with his chest. He settles it. He plays it out wide. He's the one getting in on the on the end of the cross. Ditto. Second, it happened twice in a row, and it shows that... Uh, you, you see it as well with against Croatia when uh, Alfonso Davies' goal how did it start it was Kyle Lerner bringing down That's a it. long ball and lays
0: it off to Buchanan and the, the rest
1: is history and it's yep. it's interesting to see that Valadoid the way they're playing they're really recognizing his strengths yes. and trying to give him the ball a lot like he's getting touches and he's looked comfortable and I find it fascinating because personally I think he's looked like had it not been for the goals he looks unfit and like well, he, of course, yeah. and he hasn't played a lot so it's 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 remarkable that he's been playing this well when he's obviously not fully fit when he that's why he's playing little off the you know playing off the bench and not starting right away and i think it's fascinating because once he gets his fitness and gets his rhythm like we know he can i do think of course the goals won't be sustainable but if they're going to keep playing through him he's going to continue to thrive yeah, and it. there's going to be many more goals yeah. on
0: and the fact that he is playing as a target man is heavily beneficial for him because Technique-wise, and even just, I, I feel, the way he plays, it's not clean, if that makes sense. Like, he's not going to blow you away technically. And in Spain, you do need to have a fairly high level of technique. But the fact he's being utilized in that way for his strengths, which is in the air, holding up the ball, laying off passes, because he is intelligent once he gets on the ball and can lay off a pass, see a pass, obviously time has runs well. And the fact he's just being used for that, it's a testament to the coaching staff because they see what his strengths are, they're using him in that way. Even if he's on a starter, even if he comes off the bench as that kind of target man type striker, it's clearly worked so far, and he's only going to get fitter from here. So you feel like he's only going to improve in that way, even if he stops scoring goals, which he will at
1: some point. And this has huge permutations because I don't think... I've seen a version of Laren like this again. Like we haven't seen at Besiktas was a wide player, etc. Even for Canada, because of that, Herdman shifted his role because he was playing differently at Besiktas, mm-hmm. and it's like we said earlier in the year, And you know, at the time, Ikeuba was the best pure number nine in the pool. But the way Kyle Laren's developed and is playing right now, that's huge because you look at potential partnerships with Jonathan David, you look at three five twos, you look at all these sort of options. You know, if Kyle Laren's going to keep playing well, he's going to start for Canada, and just the way he's been playing as a pure number nine is a lot easier for John Herbman to fit him in than, say, when he was at does and he was playing out wide, and then you had to figure out, okay, I want Lahren in his preferred position, yeah, exactly. David playing in his preferred position, you got Davies to think about, you got Buchanan, et cetera. Et cetera. so Laren playing like a pure number nine does save a lot of headache for John Herbman, which uh,
2: should, should be noted. And when you have Laren potting goals like this as well, you're getting him in good form. But as you say, it's a testament to the coaching staff to be able to take the player that he is and adjust the team around that. Because as we've seen with him at Bruges, with him at Besiktas, he's not in those systems where when he's it's a bit of a square in a circle hole that mm. it, it just doesn't necessarily work that way with the way that Laren plays. And I think we'll get to it later in the show. But you could say the same thing about Lucas Cavallini. That if you don't play yep. a team to his strengths, they're not going Classic to thrive example. as players. Yep. And those physical hold-up strikers are, are going to be of, of that realm. Mm-hmm. But a question from Asanka Da Silva. Really happy for Kyle. He made amazing contributions for the CanMNT in the last cycle. That being said, given that Laren has come off the bench in Qatar, does he have a future with the CanMNT at the 2026 World Cup?
0: I mean, it's difficult to project what's going to happen three years from now, but... He'll be 31,
1: right? His game's going to age
0: 2026. 20, well. And he'll likely be playing at a decently high level around then anyways. And based on what we see from other Canadian forwards, he's in line to be a top two option, depending on what comes from ugbo from potentially daniel jeveson if he commits maybe some young mls or cpl based forwards now end up making a bigger jump in a couple years and then they're knocking on the door but for now as long as he's still producing for canada playing at a decently high level around that time a player like him is always going to be considered as we've seen under john hervin's tutelage
1: yeah and i think again it depends of course what level he's at if you want if he's going to end up in mls if he's still in the Liga, of course those those Depend on how Jeb- the likes of Jebison are going to be involved. But he's someone who's, again, the way his game is, it's not overly physical. It's not overly relying on pace. It's not relying yeah. on heavy running all across the field. His game will age well because he's a very intelligent striker. He's someone who always has found space in the final third. So as long as he's playing, I think he's going to be in the mix. It's really going to depend, okay, what does Canada look like? What system do they have? How much of the strikers develop? Because for all we know, in three years you know, the likes of Ozazi, maybe you lock up Ozazi de Rosario and he's playing in Europe. Yeah. You've got Daniel Jebison playing for, in the Bundesliga. Yeah, it's a different discussion, mm-hmm. but I think no doubt Laren's going to be in the mix given his 100%. intelligence and no. maybe he ends up being a third or fourth striker, which would be huge to have as a depth option. Like if Kyle yeah. Laren's a guy coming off the bench for you, that's, it's never a bad thing that yeah, have an option like that. And
0: you also have to consider experience too at that point, because yeah. he'll have been to a World Cup. He'll have played in Europe. He's the all-time leading scorer currently. So why wouldn't you want to have him be a part of it, as long as he is obviously playing in a competitive environment?
2: Yeah, as long as he's playing at a high enough level. I see no reason that he wouldn't be in that squad, but I think if Canada's hoping to be improved, you're not starting Kyle Aaron at the 2026 World Cup. You're starting somebody who is young, might not even be in the national team picture at this point. But from yeah. Felipe... Jonathan
1: David's only twenty six as well. Very true. At point, we're just...
2: <laughs> <laughs> from Felipe Vallejo, with Laren scoring two goals in two games, he's been flying in spade since his move. Does his current form revise your original expectations of him? And can you go further than just being a hidden star in the Liga this year for Valladolid?
0: Well, well look, we see past examples of Canadians becoming cult heroes at clubs, like you look at Atiba at Besiktas, uh, Paul Stalteria at Bremen, um, like there are many other examples it too that we soon can to go to put through.
1: Alistair Johnson at Celtic yeah.
0: Honestly, the way it's going would not be shocked. The amount of Celtic fans in our replies and in our mentions and stuff like that, it's, it's absolutely off the wall. Those fans are nuts, but we love them so much. Uh, but yeah, if he helps keep them up, works hard, continues to work hard that is, score the odd goal here and there, yes, he can absolutely become a cult hero or some sort of a, a hidden star in La Liga. Being 27, being Canadian, I don't know if he'll end up making a bigger jump. Like, he might get the attention of say, a Real or a, a Valencia or what have you, which are still big clubs, as is Valladolid, but you're not going to be making the, the jump to that top-level team like a Barcelona, Real Madrid, what have you. Um, but I don't think my expectations change at all because, look, five goals in half a season for a relegation candidate... Struggling for goals, that would be a very, very strong campaign. We saw from Ike Ubo last year. No reason why Laren can't replicate this, as we've already seen.
1: Yeah, and I mean look, one thing about Kyle Laren, you have to give him credit, is he bounces back. Hey, you he know, does. you look his can the start to his can of career many wondering should he ever start? You know, he was he's struggling. Next thing you know, he becomes the all-time leading goal scorer off the back. Not group. even
0: that though, because he started off so hot, everyone's like, Oh, how long is it gonna take for him to break the goals record? And then he fizzles out for a few years and then comes back strong That's and It's true. Like, it's crazy. Uh, yeah.
1: uh, it was at that point where he hit a wall. It was a, such a point that, like, I always have to pinch myself to remember that he wasn't in the squad when Canada beat the U.S. in 2019 because he was he he, he, he oh my god he was he, he right. was out of form he, or not out of form but he was finding his form at the Zultuari game. He always shout out yeah, to that yeah. He club. just got the loan there yeah. And, and, yeah and like he yeah at that point that's a lot of adversity That's someone who's not even in the squad right as it's getting hot right as all the the attentions on it. You know oh, is kyle Lern going to be part of the future there's all these new kids on the block jonathan david is really running the show now like what's going to be with kyle erin and the next year he went out and just went supernova post uh, after the the pandemic so again credit to kyle erin he hits a wall at bruj and he bounces back and goes a valadoid i'd say my expectations aren't going to change too much either but hey i'm very encouraged by how valadoid is they committed to bring him in. They marketed the heck out of him. Yes. Now they're playing, they're building a system around him. I'm loving all those things. And because of that, there's no doubt he can he can go on and be a sneaky piece. So, again, yeah, Laren, as we know, if you put confidence in him, as John Herdman knows, Laren will score you goals.
0: I'm not saying I doubted you, but I also probably did doubt you, Alex. I had to actually go back and see if Kyle Laren did make the. The squad at all in that window. He didn't make the October squad for, in the two nil win over the U.S. Didn't make November. Didn't make the November squad, and then didn't make the January squad just before COVID hit, which is wild to me. Yet he did make it against Cuba in September and yeah. started. The second game came on as a substitute in the first game. I think he scored in the second game. No, the, so, oh, no he, he got an assist. He got an sport. assist. Yeah, yeah, he assisted Davies's goal. My bad.
2: How dare would me? Yeah, well, my fault. <laughs> Well, you can look back even farther as well. I mean, you look back to the last quali- qualifying cycle where Canada needed to put up a ton of goals against El Salvador in a final game at BC Place to even just consider making the hex and making that a possibility. But I remember watching Laren that day at BC Place and it was just like watching a slow pylon move around just completely was uninvolved. Some and brutal chances was, that game. I remember yeah. it was rough. You know, the,
0: the one I remember the most is the group stage game against Mexico at the 2019 Gold Cup. That one made me realize, like, I don't know what's going to happen to Laren's career here. He might have to come back to MLS, because at this point wasn't playing much for Besiktas. He was on the fringes of the national team, and he just looked a shell of himself in that Mexico game. I remember he just wasn't reading runs properly. His timing was off. He just looked sluggish in general. He was also isolated a lot in that game, but just did not look good at all. And then three, four years later, look at him now.
2: fair, you also mentioned the the marketing aspect that Real Valladoy did with Kyle of when he came in. And we've seen that a lot from Canadian players who are signing with European clubs. You look at Alistair Johnston and what yep. Celtic did. And it's becoming somewhat cool now for... Yep. Clubs to sign Canadian players, which is, is kind of neat to see. Yeah, well, you
0: know you're going to get the engagement, right? Because, I mean, Canadian fans we, it might not be the largest contingent you'll see in the world, but, my God, are they passionate. So you know you're going to get engagement, right? Like, Royal or the Leeds English account is basically just a Kyle Larin stan account. Uh, it's no, just that's
1: just Kyle,
2: Kyle That's Lahren all they memes. post about. That's, it.
1: that's
2: <laughs> so it. DM them memes, and I'm sure they'll post it. Oh, 100% it. they will, yeah. Maybe not the uh, Stefan Estacchio AGR a- a- meme template, But Tejan Buchanan Buchanan returned from suspension for Club Bruges and started as right winger against Antwerp in a 0-0 draw on Sunday. No Stefan Estacchio for Porto as he deals with a minor knee injury. He's missed the last two league games as a result of that injury. But Estacchio was named Canada Soccer's Men's Player of the Month for January, the first month of 2023. Steven Vittoria is up to four league goals this season for Chavez after converting another penalty in a 2-1 win over Martimo. In the EFL, Ishmael Kone was a substitute for the first time since joining Watford. He had about 10 minutes in a 2 2 draw with Reading on Saturday. Junior Hoylett played 67 minutes for Reading as the left wing back, recording three passes in the draw. In Scotland, Alistair Johnson won the full 90 for Celtic against St. Johnston in an all Canadian clash against David Watherspoon and Theo Bear. Watherspoon played 20 minutes for St. Johnston, while Bear was a late substitute. At Ross County, Victor Latourie started against Rangers and had a hockey assist. In a hard fought 2 1 loss. Everyone at NFP sends our condolences to those affected by the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Samad plays in one of the hardest hit areas of Hatay, but did confirm safety following the earthquake with a post to his Instagram story. Canada Soccer also confirmed the safety of every Canadian player currently playing in Turkey on Tuesday morning. A quick birthday shout out to Atiba Hutchinson, who turns 40 on Wednesday. He was an unused substitute for Bashiktas in Saturday's 1 0 loss to Sivaspor. And also a note that the Turkish league has been suspended for the next little while.
0: Understandably.
2: Liam Miller was a late substitute for Basel in Wednesday's 5-3 win over Grasshoppers in the Swiss Cup. Theo Corbenu was an unused substitute for Arminia Bielefeld in their 3-1 win over Jan Regensburg. Scott Kennedy was suspended for Jan after his red card last week. And a lot of red cards for Canadians in both men's and women's soccer yes. across this world. Dominic Zator went full 90 at right back for Corona Kielce in a 2-1 win over Krakowia. Earning Polish League Team of the Week honors for his play. Marcus Godinho got 10 minutes off the bench as well. And from Shane Wagonar, at Wayne Shagonar. How do you rate the Polish League and do regular starts there put Zator in competition with players like Waterman and Henry for the right centre-back call-ups this year? Does the versatility of playing right-back for Krona Kielce help his cause?
0: I'm very conflicted with this because the Polish League is an okay league. Tactically, it's probably on par, if not above, MLS. Like, for example, I was watching clips of Zator and he was punished a couple times for not being compact enough or close enough with his right centre-back and opponents exploited the gap between him and the right centre-back and things like that, I feel, don't always happen in MLS. Like, there seems to be a bit of a delay in that and certainly in the CPL, it doesn't always happen. Um, And quality-wise, I'd say it's about the same, maybe slightly below compared to MLS depending on the clubs that are playing. But obviously, given Canada's dearth, of centre-back options, particularly right-footed centre-back options. The arguments boost a for Sator. and to his credit, he has started strongly at Corona-Kielce. He got a chance to slot into a back three in possession in his last game, looked pretty solid there, kind of playing as like that right-back, right-centre-back tweener that sometimes Alistair Johnston likes to play in, and that's an advantage for him being a right-footed centre-back option from a can-MNT perspective, right? He's been strong in the air in 1v1 duels, has the fearlessness to get forward, plays vertically a lot of the time, as we saw in his days at Cavalry, a little bit at York United, and now early on in Poland. In that way, he does have the edge over Waterman because he has those defensive lapses, Waterman, and I feel like, especially in transition too, which could probably end up hurting Canada if he were to ever start, uh, that does make you question if he's Canamenti quality as a starter, whereas I feel with it doesn't happen as often, so that might give him the edge in that regard, even as a rotational player. But, Zator is 28, so he's a couple years older than Waterman. He did get a couple call-ups, yes, but I just feel like when you see him play, and it's early days, players who've made the move over to Europe, Canadian players, that is, have struggled with this at times, even the likes of Ismail Coney and Alistair Johnston, but he does get frazzled when he's been pressed on the ball, and it's led to some pretty sloppy turnovers. Maybe that does get corrected, but... When I see that, I go back to a comment John Herman made in September about Waterman when he was talking about, look, it's one thing to do well in MLS and to be playing for one of the best teams in MLS, but then it's another to go toe to toe with even like Davies, David Buchanan in training every day and to hold your own and then going up against those top tier teams, right? And that's what you kind of have to look at when you're putting the World Cup into perspective. Doesn't mean you can't get a call up for, say, the Gold Cup if he continues to play well over the next few months, but I think long term... I, I'm very conflicted as to whether or not he could be an answer.
1: I think we'll have to see more just because I think Zator There's always been a lot of potential. He's, you know, he can play center back and be good in the air, but he moves surprisingly well on the ball for a big man. You've always seen that at Calvary, you can get forward and whip in a ball. And obviously that flexibility helps. But, you know, the Polish league, it's a bit of a, you know, mix in the sense that it's ranked 28th in the coefficients. Of course, that's UEFA performance. That doesn't rate the quality of the bond with the league. Uh, which of course Corona Kelch fighting for relegation, but it gives you an idea of it's a solid European league anywhere mm-hmm. in Europe is good, but it's you know it's not it's not your top 10. it's not your top 15 leagues. Uh, so it's one where, hey, one Steven Vittoria used the, the extra lacca as a, a jumping point before yeah. heading back to Portugal about five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. He's playing for dance or whatever it was. It was actually sooner than it was like three or four years ago time flies so it's certainly a league that maybe if he proves himself he can then make a move up and for now the again given the lack of center backs and defensive options i think he'll be in contention but you know i think right as it stands he's a guy that will be there for depth like if there's any injuries etc if there's a call but you know he's still young enough that if he can continue to develop maybe he gets another move maybe corona Kelch really launches up the the standings and and pushes for europe and then it's a, a whole different discussion but it's been good to see him test himself and uh I'm curious to see how he continues to get on as he adapts. He's been playing as a right-back, right-center-back. and I think those are two roles that could suit him and maybe ends up playing as a, a right side of a back three for Canada one day.
2: Didi Nabzi went the full 90 for Pau in a 2-0 defeat to Bordeaux. Balut Tabla was an unused sub for Manisa on Saturday after debuting off the bench last weekend. Gloramanda has been released from Austria Klagenfurt after a string of injuries. He started strongly but is now available on a free, potentially the Vancouver Whitecaps to revisit Gloramanda. One last note before we pivot over to the women. Lucas Cavallini has joined Club Tijuana in Liga MX. Thoughts on this move? Well, it's the right fit in terms of they need goals. It's kind of
0: funny that Cavallini and Laren both go to clubs that are in desperate need of goals, and they're relatively big clubs in their leagues. And it's obviously a league that Cavallini knows well, having spent quite a bit of time there. I'm pleasantly surprised that he did end up in Mexico because his wage demands seemingly priced him out of a couple of moves in South America and then again in Mexico. But kudos to him for getting that stint. And like at the time of him signing, Cholos had one non-penalty goal in their first four games of the season. So it kind of goes to show you that he's probably going to fill a knee because he is experienced, he knows the league well, and when you play to his strengths, when he's sending in those early crosses, he's going to get you goals. So I feel like it is the perfect fit in, in, in a lot of ways, and good for him too because that will keep him at the very least in contention with the national team.
1: Yeah, I mean, this isn't your... <laughs> Excuse me, it's not your uncle's Tijuana anymore. The Tijuana that was dominating Champions Leagues. That was, That's right, yeah. you know, going, you know, half decade, a decade ago. This is a Tijuana team that didn't even make La Ligia La, La, La last term in Apertura. They're not they're not in the Ligia places right now. They had only 18 goals uh, in Apertura. Just, <laughs> I think it's just four it is right now. Like Peter mentioned, just one of them mm-hmm. uh, are thick. They, yeah, they, they uh, sorry, I had my Apertura open here in the closer. They just have three goals and two of them from the spot. Um, so yeah, team needing goals. It's a league he's familiar with. It's good for him. He just needs minutes. He needs to just continue to find his form. Someone that again, until the younger strikers come in, Cavaliere's going to be someone who's one of the longest tenured players in the program. He's been around for eleven years now, which feels wild. That's to, crazy. You know, wild to suggest. It feels like just yesterday was a young teenager making his debut against Honduras, and everyone was happy. They locked him down. Then there is the dark years where he had no business with Canada. And then he made it back and ended up scoring a fair few goals. He's quietly in like the top five of uh, all-time Ken MNT scores with like 16 it is now. Uh so obviously Cavallini's a key veteran, him, you know, likes of Laren, etc. it's the likes of Jebison are gonna come in, they're gonna have to beat one of those guys out. And then when they're in, they're gonna need mentorship from the likes of uh Cavallini and Laren. So while they're still around and kicking and playing and the the other youngsters are ready. Uh, you, cause you know Cavallini's going to have fire in his belly after how things ended in Vancouver to go back and prove himself in Mexico and mm-hmm. prove that he can be around uh, for Canada for, for a long time. So curious to see how, how it is because the motivated Lucas Cavallini
2: is fun to watch for many reasons. <laughs> yes, it is. And you know. he's going to play more as well because his chutzpah and charisma in the way that he plays is allowed in Mexico, not necessarily the reputation he'd built up in MLS as a red card magnet. Switching to our women abroad, Amadine Pierre-Louis finished the 90 for Rodet and Yasmin Hall had 30 minutes in Rodet's 5-0 loss to Vanessa Gilles Lyon. Gilles went the full 90 and helped pick up the clean sheet. Jenna Hellstrom logged 56 minutes as Dijon lost 2-0 to Paris FC on Saturday. Gilles Grosso played 84 minutes for Juventus. In a narrow 2-1 loss to ac milan in italy jesse fleming and cadiz buchanan started for chelsea going 60 and 90 minutes respectively in their 3-2 win over shalina zadorski's tottenham zadorski also went the full 90 there ashley lawrence had the full 90 for psg and sadie Sider eckenberg was a second half substitute in psg's 3-1 victory over Le Havre. chloe lacasse had a goal and two assists in benfica's 9-0 win over albergania in Portugal. She was named Canada Soccer's Women's Player of the Month for January. Samantha Chang scored in her debut for Turianse while Lisiane Peru also was starting. Suryeka officially joined Swedish club Vischo on Friday from Le Havre. Meanwhile, NWSL draft eligible Jessica Di Filippo signed in the Bundesliga with Potsdam, making her the latest Canadian college athlete to go pro in Europe following the lights of Chang and Emma Reagan. Don't forget to follow Canucks Abroad on Twitter at Canucks underscore abroad and on Instagram at Canucks Abroad for frequent updates on Canadian players worldwide and join the Canucks soccer chat and converse with like-minded Canadian soccer fans at www.soccerchat.ca. From Dan Clark at DanClark999, do the John Herdman to Leeds rumors have anything to them or is it nothing serious based on what all you know?
1: Well, she admitted it was a joke, so you don't even have to go much further than that. It's one where, hey... It's a it's a job where if John Herman were to leave for Leeds, I think it would be a lot more understandable than him yeah. leaving for New Zealand. So if there were any legs, then there's a you know fat a huge chance of that you know whole thing got up and ran. But uh, in this case, there's there are no legs. I mean, John Herman's obviously made that commitment to the Canadian men's national team for for the foreseeable future, and until there's more concrete links. I don't think it makes sense, much sense for Leeds as well, just as they saw with a guy like Jesse Marsh. Jesse Marsh is more of a project builder very much so. kind of guy and they I brought him exactly that's what i mean there's a lot of parallels between the way they, they operate and how they brought marsh in in a league where you're playing every three days halfway through a year you don't really get much time to build you don't get much time to implement these sort of systems in place i think if you're hiring a guy like Herman, you want to do it in the in the summer where you have a chance to have a full preseason. you're not you know battling uh, the the bottom neck of relegation so hey maybe if they need a manager in the summer i'm sure we'll We'll see some links, but I find it very hard to believe that Herman would be the right man for their job as of today, just based on the you know the the, what sort of changes it would take for him to implement.
0: But as I said last week, this is not going to be the last time we hear links. Obviously, Leeds is not a legitimate link; it wasn't even a link at all. But I'm saying like New Zealand is just going to get stronger and stronger and stronger, especially if the CSA financially can't provide any notable improvements to the men's and women's program too, because that Priestman could get disgruntled too and want to leave as well because i'm sure her stock will be high especially if canada has a very strong world cup uh, having already won an olympic gold medal
2: alex you say that leeds might be looking for a coach in the summer are you saying that the king of falling upwards chris armis now head coach of leeds united is not going to get the full-time job
1: he chris armis the coach killer we can now say because every time he goes that's true (laughs) <laughs> hey, he had he had five months at TFC, about four months at Man United, about yep. t- t- ten days at Leeds. Like, what's next? Like, three days? Uh... <laughs> Listen, to any club out there who wants to get rid of their coach
0: but wants to kind of will it into existence, just bring Chris Armiston in as an assistant, and that'll get it done. He's
1: like the the, the human, like, you know, coach-firing coach cigar. It's like the victory cigar. As soon as you come and you just eat. Instead
0: of the Drake curse or the Bieber curse, we got the Armist curse. He's
2: falling um, upwards, though, so credit to him. I, yeah, I, I, I take Travis, that maybe, anyway. I mean,
1: Ancelotti, they're saying. There could be rumblings Ancelotti with Real Madrid falling behind in the, in the, the table. All of a sudden, we'll see uh, Chris
2: Armis managing alongside <laughs> Carlo Ancelotti at Real Madrid. <laughs> oh <my> God. <laughs> From atbrcannat, Is it possible to expect a friendly in early June as a prep for the Gold Cup? If so, who would be possible opponents? Love the show it entirely
0: depends on nations league really like if canada tops games.
2: tops their group then
0: that's that's obviously out they can't play friendlies but if they don't top their group
1: yeah i think well it's one where it the, usually the june window is a four game window cuz i'm just looking at the fifa match calendar or for 2023 actually just kidding the june window is a two game window this year that's rare usually it is a four game window so yeah the, their hands will be tied uh if they make it far nations leagues and should they not then 100%, I'm sure they'll try to schedule two games. But for now, we're going to operate under the mind that they try to get the job done in March and get those two competitive games against what will likely be U.S., Mexico, uh,
2: etc. From Edward Hansen Wong, at Edward H.S. Wong, I've long been intrigued by Victor Fung, especially because of his Hong Kong connection. With his first formal call-up to the U-17 Canaman T. wonder if you could discuss what type of player he is and what you think his prospects are.
0: Firstly, amazing news that they got him into the final squad, uh, along with Egyptian-Canadian dual national Ibrahim Higazi, who's at uh, Rayo Vallecano. So another Spanish-based player, Kyle Aaron, is at Valladolid. You've got Higazi at Rayo Vallecano, who are flying high right now. But uh, it goes to show you what having these youth camps can do in that regard, right? You get those young dual nationals in the door early. You get them a sense of pride playing for Canada. Maybe they are convinced to tie their allegiances fully to the country. But as for fun, he's one of the highest regarded academy products Inter-Miami has. And he's still 15. He doesn't turn 16 until August. He's one of the youngest players in that squad. So it kind of goes to show you how highly he's rated. He was a member of Miami's under-15 team last year that became national champions last season. And Miami has had essentially, I think it's around 12 to 14 call-ups for their academy players to youth national teams worldwide over the past 12 months. So it kind of goes to show you the quality that they're producing in Inter-Miami's academy already. But Fung is a right-footed center back. He's comfortable on the ball. Pretty lethal in the air, too. He actually scored in that final against Real Salt Lake last season that won them the national title. Uh, But he is taller than most players his age. So we'll see how that kind of writes itself over the next few years. But certainly a very intriguing prospect.
1: It's just funny you mentioned Agassi. Uh, I think I saw the the screenshot on Twitter floating around because obviously the U17 team currently playing friendlies and the guys he made his debut. And I just, I remember I clicked his bio and he had four flags in the bio. So again, if we're talking about these youth camps and the importance of getting these dual nationals, yeah, we're getting to an age where it's not just dual nationals, it's trio nationals, it's quad nationals. And, uh, you know, I mean, I myself, I could attest to that. If I were to be a professional soccer player, it would be quite the... uh, quite the recruitment battle so uh yeah that's it's good again just to get these camps to to bring in some of these kids because they obviously you know they have a lot of options they got a lot of places to choose for so good to good to see that and i mean we'll, we'll touch a little more on the u17s and how they're setting up heading into this u17 championships with literally almost like a week away like it snuck yep, up on happens us Happens
0: february 11th that's which when the tournament opens four
1: days away from okay. us recording but uh in terms of the tournament itself, a lot of interesting uh, prospects, as always, remains to be seen if they can break a, a bit of the men's uh, struggle patterns that we've seen uh, in past tournaments.
2: And from Dan Clark at Dan Clark 999 any news on Justin Smith at QRM? He got five minutes on Friday against Gangnam, which was technically his league 2 de
0: debut uh, and his proper debut for QRM, which is nuts because we're into February now. He's made the matchday squad a few times in recent weeks, as we've touched on, but clearly the loan has not worked out at all if he's been playing mostly for QRM's reserves.
2: And moving on to domestic stuff, lots of news for Canadian clubs in MLS recently. Toronto FC announced the signing of 28-year-old Norwegian centre-back Sigurd Rosted on a three-year TAM deal with an option for 2026. TFC is talking to Norwegian giants Rosenberg about a transfer for Jay Nelson ex-DFC midfielder Nobel Akello is now trialing with the LA Galaxy following a brief training stint with Inter Miami. CF Montreal announced they won't have a 2023 primary kit at this time, but they're just changing their brand a little bit too quickly all the time. Vancouver yes. Whitecaps are close to signing Venezuela international striker Sergio Cordova and Japanese goalkeeper Yohei Takoka from Yokohama F Marinos. From Michael Rice, at Mike Rice in 1983, are the are Vancouver building a first eleven to really compete for CCL?
0: Look, I said this last week. I think uh, on paper the Whitecaps do have a pretty decent squad brewing here, and we'll probably get into more of that a little later. But they do have a relatively straightforward path to the semis of the of the Champions League. Not saying they'll get there, but Real España followed by LAFC, also in preseason form, so maybe you can catch them sleeping one way or another, and or Allo that isn't overwhelming to get to the semifinals. I do think the eleven with Cordova and Takaoka coming in, it's strong enough to compete in CCL, give a good account of themselves, possibly get to a semifinal, make the Final Four, or what have you. Cordova uh, had 11 goals last season, I believe, with Real Salt Lake, which was in line with his XG output. He averaged 0.18 expected goals per shot. Lots of headers, later rivals and or shots in the box, which will fit the system perfectly, based on how Vancouver likes to utilize their width. They have a lot of lethal crossers and and playmakers, Ryan Gall being one of them, Julian Gressel being another. Um, Dakaoka provided zero goals above expected, which is still 11 goals better off than what Whitecaps goalkeepers provided last season. So if you look at the fact that they're going to have an 11-goal swing that way, you get a striker in the door who's going to fit the system, even if he provides like 12, 13 goals a year and then you are leaning on goals by committee elsewhere, that's a very strong squad, especially for the Champions League. Um, and the squad itself is pretty loaded in terms of depth. You maybe have one or two questions about certain areas, like possibly depth and quality with fullback, but they have options there at the very least. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty confident that they are building a pretty decent squad for the Champions League.
1: Yeah, I think this squad looks very solid. It's, you know, it's going to be interesting how it gets on because... This is a Whitecaps team that, for all their struggles last year, were a point within the playoffs. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, what does it mean to make the playoffs in, the, in this day and age in MLS with seven teams, soon to be potentially nine, God. which is, again, they they better do all that they can to make that not happen, yes, but it's freeze. MLS. So it's, no yeah, best
0: of threes either, yeah. for the love of God.
1: But that's a team that, again, despite some not historically bad goalkeeping, but pretty bad, again, 11 <laughs> goals below expected or above expected is just criminal. That's... Again, it's one of those where you put league average and you're talking like swing from eighth to like third or fourth. You, exactly. put, you put elite goalkeeping, it's they go to first. It's literally LAFC situation. The, the West is a
2: crapshoot as well. So, like, all the more reason. It, it is every year, though. Like, it's it's it's, it's MLS. unexpected. MLS is just unexpected. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's the, uh, one of the craziest leagues to bet on outside the NHL. But it's one of those where we saw it in
1: LAFC in 2021. They yeah. were. They were much more of an XG-like sneaky team that legitimately got tanked by goalkeeping. They mm-hmm. signed Max Kropp, but they win they the won, double. They won the MLS Cup. And the, the Supporters' Shield. So it oh, one it's one of those where it's like we saw that one coming. I think with the Whitecaps, they weren't enough of an XG darlings to suggest yes. they bring in, if Takoka performs up to standard, that he's going to drag them to that sort of level. But again, this is a team that on paper, you look at what the Takaoka signing fills, you look at the Cordova signing feels too, because despite Cavalini's like seven goals or whatever, it ended up being eight goals. He was in and out of yeah. the lineup all the time. Brian White couldn't find his feet. So if one of Cordova or White find their feet and go back double-digit goals, that's, you know, the, the rest of the spine is there from last year. You added a, a full year from Pedro Vite, who didn't get a chance to really shy, shine until the last three games of the year
0: who um, I am very high on, by the way. I feel like I'm one of the few who still is because independ- I saw him in Independiente and I love oh, that, that kid. That, it, 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 oh, it was his so good.
1: academy is marvelous.
2: And- I mean, he, he's shown his potential in his spurts with the Whitecaps, especially down... The stretch of the season with the Whitecaps at the start, like there wasn't necessarily the tracking back, there wasn't necessarily well, see, the effort there. He, he, that that caused some some friction with. Me. But the he never really did. He speed. never really
0: did track back at Independiente either. The difference is he was given the freedom to be able to do that, whereas in sure. Vancouver he wasn't afforded that freedom because he wasn't that player who the system was built around. Right. So now playing as part of a trio where you have dual eights, and the fact that Vanny will probably be telling him, "Hey, listen, you got to track back and defend a little mm-hmm. bit here." all the more reason why he's probably going to have a pretty strong year.
1: Well, we saw what happened when he finally seemed to get it in those last three games where he was tracking back. He was given that free roll. He was electric. And you add in that, you add in the uh, a full year of Gressel who – as long as they keep him out, out wide, yes. at least in possession. Yes, there you go. We'll play him as a CB for all you want off the ball. Yeah. But at least just on get the him out
0: wide on the ball, please.
1: Like just just ask uh, Brandon Vasquez what he thinks mm. of that from that friendly against the U.S. Yep. Uh, it's, the Whitecaps, again, it's going to be a matter of, okay, there are some questions in midfield beyond Kubas. Andres Kubas, okay, what, what is Alessandro Schopf going to look like? the one friendly viewing we saw of him still we're not... We're not seeing the player that we've, you know, heard of. But you look again, like a guy like Laborda looks like a clear upgrade. Ranko Veselinovic is still around. Tristan Blackman's still around. They have Karifa. built a team. Karifa Yao could slot in there and, and, and get it. And this is a team that on paper, no reason why they can't push for top four in the West and yeah. and make a run potentially to the semifinals to, to the CCL. As we know, it's very much different in practice as the Whitecaps. Uh-huh. They've sometimes struggled to turn on paper in practice, but... Last year we saw glimpses. They finally did win a trophy. They almost pushed to the playoffs despite a like historically bad start. Again, it's one of those where it's, it's just, as long as they avoid a bad start,
2: it feels like they could really mm-hmm. do something here. It's one of the rare years with the Whitecaps as well that you can look at their lineup at least on paper and there's not really any holes that are there. There's been so many years in the history of the Whitecaps and MLS where you're, you get to opening day in MLS and you're like, well you're missing several pieces. Yes, and, and then they address it in the summer, and then, oh, we got... getting
1: up to speed. We, we got
0: new signings. They're like new signings, and then a, the rinse repeat again, Unless right? it's Ryan Gall who just found his yes. feet immediately. Yeah,
1: exactly. But for every Ryan Gauld, there's a... <laughs> pick choose, choose.
2: There's a, there's a, there's a <laughs> yeah. Fabian Yeah.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah.
2: Never forget Mustafa Jarju, <laughs> oh either. No, but no, but we'll, we'll move on from the Whitecaps, three Vancouver guys sitting around your table discussing the Whitecaps. We could go on for a while. If you want Whitecaps chat... Go listen to Alex's other podcast, The Third Sub, with Sam Rowan. Shout but out. a question from Peter Sutherland at PW Sutherland. Who do you expect will be the best-performing Canadian team in MLS this year? And Here comes I more think Whitecaps gushing. I don't think it's going to be CF Montreal. I don't think TFC is necessarily at that point, given their lack of off-season additions.
0: Well, it's, so it's, it's, also um, much, it's also much lack of off-season additions. I think it's the fact that they've had to rebuild so much of the spine, and a lot of those players... You just don't know. Like Matt Hedges, four years ago, five years ago, tremendous signing that would have been. Now, you just don't know. Even right? Sean
1: Johnson, because he played Shawn behind Johnson's, such a good backline. Exactly you look at the numbers. On a narrow
0: pitch as well, like, which comes into it. Like, yeah, exactly. And that's what I tweeted looking at the numbers. And then TFC fans, understandably, I guess, got very angry at me for tweeting that out. But 33 years old. He has been very prone to make some mistakes. I feel like people look at the CF Montreal game and think, okay, that's him all the time. It's not. He can have some howlers out there. Uh, And not the most comfortable with his feet either, although I don't think that'll be that much of an issue. But when I look at TFC, they'll make the playoffs, I feel, solely based on the Italians' goals. They at least have some semblance of a consistent backline with Petretta, Rostead, Hedges... And then Lorea, at the very least, for the first few months of the season. We'll see if they keep him past that. Um, and then you got Sean Johnson at the back. But then you have an aging Michael Bradley in the midfield. Mark Anthony K can't seem to stay fit these days. Jonathan Osorio's a year older. Your midfield depth otherwise isn't the strongest. And your attacking depth is also not the strongest outside of the Italians. So, you know, what's going to happen when you're playing every three, four days in the thick of the summer schedule? And you start dropping points here and there, because that's what happened ultimately in their late playoff push, was that they just dropped a couple of crucial points against playoff-chasing teams, and then they missed out. Montreal, I still think, will be competitive. They could probably still make the playoffs, especially because it looks like Miller and Waterman are going to stick around. I still think they're going to be very solid overall, despite losing some pretty key players. This is all part of the Montreal plan here. But as for Vancouver, just to reiterate what we said, fitness permitting... They look like they have probably the strongest squad of the three Canadian teams right now. Like they've actually made, they built half the spine last year. Kubas comes in, Gold gets established. Um, you know, now you've added Laborda to, to fill in the center back. Veselinovich is in. You bring in a goalkeeper, you bring in Cordova as, as the striker. You got Gressel to provide some of that, you know, quality out wide. It's all coming together nicely. Whereas I feel like with the other clubs, because they had to make so many changes this offseason, that might be, it just might be one season too early for them, is really all I'm saying.
2: I do have to credit TFC, though, for the stops that they pulled out to sign some of their players, notably Sean Johnson, because they were putting him courtside at, at Raptors games, of course, with the MLSE connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were introducing him to Drake. Um, but if the goaltending doesn't exactly live up, at least they, they do have from the, their own spokesperson, they do have Marvin's room that they can. Sit and listen to uh, if the goals. Uh, yeah, something you out. only
1: discovered last week, but we won't get into that. Because in, in terms of this, what I'd say is Toronto FC has the highest floor. Yes, so just because as we saw last year, Lorenzo Insigne, Federico bernardeschi they win
0: games on the road. Almost
1: carried that, yeah. whatever the heck that TFC yes, team exactly. was in the second half to the playoffs. Like there is talent there that they will be able to drag themselves and be in the in the you know the mix. I think Montreal has the highest ceiling just because I think you look at what they lost in terms of Alistair Johnson, they replaced with Aaron Herrera, what they lost with Ismail Khani. There's a lot of youth, and you know, just they can run Piet and Wanyama in the middle and not lose much. And Georgi Mihailovic is the big one, but it's a guy like Sean Rea, he has so mm-hmm. much potential that that's where I say the high ceiling. If, if Sean Rea hits, you're forgetting about Mihailovic right away, oh, no, and you already see you keep Miller, or you keep you know Waterman, you keep Camacho, you keep Kyoto. Like a lot of those pieces are there, so I think for them, their ceiling is still very high because of how young it is. But Vancouver, you look at their roster, like they're just the most complete right now. There's mm-hmm. not one where it's not like TFC. where like, ooh, there's these ifs in midfield. Is is this older player gonna hold up? Is this player gonna adapt to his new team? Yeah, there's two new players and you know you can even make it three if you add shop from takaoka and cordoba how are they going to adapt etc etc but there's so much certainty it feels like you look at that team in terms of they have okay, a stronger base kubas yeah. gold you know yeah. those two are gonna yeah. be they proved last year that they can be the spine of a good team and you add in guys like gressel you know i'm a less proven you add in you know the, the the potential of guys like Vite. there's a mix of youth but there's also a mix of experience. Guys like Vasilinovic, this is four years in MLS now. Like, that's someone where he has that MLS experience that the White Caps lacked in prior years. It just feels like the White Caps are the team that's most set, whereas TFC and, and Montreal are in such different places where, yeah, knowing the White Caps, they could very well bust and finish below both of them. But if I was going to bet, they I would bet on them just based on the team that they built because Montreal screams like a team that 500 to 1 odds or something like that, and you bet on them just because. You know, they've got that potential, but it's not necessarily like a, you know, a bet that it's a bet that could fall flat on your face. Whereas you look at the white caps, there's enough there where I think they, should, they would finish as the top team
2: if I were to predict. And from Matthew Ryarchuk at MPH Legend 10 any updates from preseason training for new CanMNT players who may get minutes at the first team level in MLS besides the previously mentioned Hibern and Bombido? It's so tough to say because
0: a lot of these clubs are so secretive with their preseason friendlies that you can never tell. But I mean, the Columbus Crew guys and Russell Rowe and Farsi are probably two shouts because they made such a strong impression in MLS Next Pro that you imagine they're going to get at least a fairly decent look at first-team level this season. Moisa Bombito, I, I know that it was kind of mentioned there, like, besides him, but he's been getting some pretty strong appearances in the Colorado Rapids friendlies, as has Ralph Preso, too. I wonder, honestly, what what fine. could come of him.
1: I'd say Preso, 100%, is also one, given the Colorado midfield and how he slotted in right away. I'd throw him. Yeah, cause I agree. It's been hard to follow, but guys I'll throw out there just off the top of my head, Luca Petrasso, given what Orlando paid yeah, for him, 400 K, yes. you know, and they needed a bit of full back depth. A guy like Petrasso could slot in cause he did show some good glimpses last year. Of course, Schaffelberg. I mean, he's pretty established at Nashville, but he's been someone who has been doing well in preseason. I have been able to see that cause Nashville has been a little more public with their information. So that's another one that, uh, that could do well. So, yeah, you know, a lot of those are all guys from U23, U24. They're not, you know, old by any means. So they... Petrasso did
0: also start a couple friendlies for Orlando. So there you go.
2: And also for Matthew Chuck, what impact could the MLS Apple TV programs have to draw more attention to Canadian soccer players in MLS? Could this draw attention to players who have been rumored to be drawing interest from elsewhere, like a Jaden Nelson, like a Marshall Ruddy?
0: I think it's more so better for the league's promotion and marketing rather than individual players because I feel like if a player is going to stand out to a certain scout, they're just gonna, they're going to get seen anyway regardless of what happens. But it is going to help I think in general for the overall league's appeal. And what's going to be interesting is because you see this single entity TV deal happening, there was a report a couple weeks ago, might have even been a week ago, that J.P. Morgan is going to bid a million or a billion euros for the TV rights and marketing rights for Syria. And that they're apparently looking at a similar single-entity TV structure with Syria instead of the individual domestic packages, depending on the country. So I wonder if MLS is going to be used as a guinea pig in that regard, as they often are for world soccer, and then other leagues are going to adapt to that. Because you're seeing Amazon come in with the Premier League, you're seeing different entities that you would never think would be interested in, in, in in the sport, all of a sudden jumping into it because they see the money that's out there and they're like you know what could be worth our while
1: yeah i mean it, it's one where the ml you know mls sorry is established enough where it's like we had that discussion with the cpl a few months uh, a few weeks ago how like the production quality and the st- the uh, statistical databases helped players uh, get moves we've seen that with mls like that's such a big database where it's not like we're It's a secret league. Like we saw, John Duran move to Aston Villa like Mm -hmm. weeks ago for Mm -hmm. twenty million. This is this is a guy. It's not like Almirón, who everyone and their uncle and their aunt knew that he was going to go to a big club for thirty plus million because he was dominant. Like John Duran's a guy where it's like he
0: was he's still a project in a lot of
1: ways. Like that's where you see that okay. Like this is MLS is a league now that's seen. It's a league Mm -hmm. that is known. So I wouldn't say it's going to change that regard for players, but yeah, it's going to be. It's just going to be, you know, huge in terms of continuing to grow the game as long as they can market it well, because the benefit of having everything in one single space is that when it comes to drawing new fans, it's not like, okay, well, sometimes they play on this platform and sometimes they play on this platform. I mean, yeah, it's going to be like that if you factor in TSN and everything, but you can just be like, look, if you want to watch MLS every week, you go to Apple and there's. There's not a lot of leagues right now where it's that simple. It's always, oh, you have to go this on Sundays, and then on Wednesdays they play this. Like, even in the UK, I hear from UK friends that they watch their teams on Wednesday on BT Sport. That and, happened and, to me and in and Ireland, watching thing, you know,
0: watching like, games. Honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, on one one week it was only available on Amazon, but then the next day it was available on BT Sport, then the next day it was available on Sky Sports. I'm like, how the hell do you guys yeah, do exactly.
1: this? So it is good to be like, look, every game's on Apple. Go watch it there if you're if you're dedicated. Exactly. And hopefully, you know, things like Ted Lasso, things like Wrexham, uh, you know, which we'll get into. People are talking about soccer right now, so if yeah. they can find a way to turn any of that interest, even two percent of that interest, MLS, CPL, you know, Project Eight Sports, that's all going to be beneficial in the long run.
2: Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned Rexham, and we'll also get into the fact that TSS Rovers and Von Azuri and FC Laval could very well do a Rexham of their own right here exactly. in Canada. Yeah. In the CPL Pacific, signed Canadian youth international Adenijah Reed. Vancouver FC added 19 year olds left back. Tyler Crawford is their 10th signing, almost a full 11. Valor announced the return of Canadian Peruvian forward Gerard Ojoa. York United brought back Canadian international Michael Petrasso. Atletico Ottawa unveiled midfielder Noah Verhoeven as their latest signing.
0: The Vancouver dream is over, unfortunately.
2: HFX added added to its young core by signing Canadian youth international midfielder Thomas Geraldo, formerly of CF Montreal. And from Star at Hemalergi, after an injury-filled season, it was clear Geraldo wasn't going to be above the likes of Saliba, Zuhir, and Rea in the pecking order at Montreal. But at only 19, can Tomash hit the ground running in the CPL and maybe get a move to Scotland, MLS, or Scandinavia next winter?
0: Yeah, because he's still very young. He is only 19. He's going to a place in HFX where they're building a very solid young core of players. And I think that could be a really good place for him to rebuild some of his potential because he suffered a dramatic injury that probably is what led to him having this setback in a lot of ways and falling down the pecking order as others like Saliba and Rhea and, and the likes made the step up. So yeah, it's still very, very early in his career where I think he can make the impact. In HFX, that is... Definitely the most solid place for him to do it. And playing and or learning from the likes of Andre Rampersad is not going to hurt either.
1: Yeah, obviously no Jeremy Gagnon-Lapare anymore, but still Rampersad. You look at some of the other pieces that they have uh, over at Halifax. Very comfortable place for Montrealers, which I think is always nice. It's nice to have that familiarity of language and just players that you played with growing up because they obviously have that young core, like Zachary Fernandez and other Quebecois-based players. I mean, Geraldo is one who... You know, Atletico Auto is a bit of an interesting, you know, he was like 17 at the time. It was interesting to see is very limited minutes uh, that he got there if he even did uh, get any. I can't even remember off the top of my mind. But then, yeah, the injury just really threw things out of whack. So it's good just to see him back and hopefully he can play because at 19, as you know, that's far, far from over for,
2: for a career in this sport. And from Dan Clark at DanClark999, any CPL expansion updates for Saskatoon?
0: So Prairie Land expects to hear back from City Council in the second quarter of 2023 about where the project is headed. That's of course the location of where the stadium is supposed to be. So we probably will find out, I guess, start of the summer, some firm update in that regard. But everything seems to be going according to plan. They got second opinion, city council's on board from the sound of it. They just have to maybe look into one or two changes, and then those will be presented sometime in the second quarter of 2023.
2: And from Archer Lashinsky, if you could design a CanPL All-Star event, how would you run it? Mine would be one league writers select a starting 11, fan vote for five players on the bench, exhibition game versus an MLS or international team hosted during the July or August so f- that fans can travel. Now, yeah. after the possibly worst NHL All-Star it's weekend debacle. that I've ever watched, <laughs> I have so many ideas of how you can improve All-Star Let's events hear them. for That's all great. leagues hosted in Toronto and I know that people aren't gonna like that but CPL headquartered in, in Toronto hosted in Toronto host it whether it's your client stadium or find var- some way to get into varsity stadium in downtown yeah, yeah, yeah. make it accessible your client stadium isn't necessarily that especially no. given what's going on with Toronto Transit yes. right now yes but have a skills competition and I think having a skills competition could actually make it a lot of fun nobody needs to goalkeeper wars
0: game. bring it to the CPL let's go <laughs>
2: all that you bring goalkeeper wars you bring you bring soccer golf and you let the players draft themselves as well like they used to do in the nhl you create just random teams like a fantasy draft pick up soccer and you just play for however long and then next goal wins is your all-star game your skills competition is all the random stuff that you do at the park whether it's crossbar challenge whether it's like picking corners or just like random teams and quick little games you just make it as personable as possible. And none of this like 10, 10-D tandem or whatever the NHL did where it was like <laughs> I, I, you couldn't possibly even figure anything out. Um, and then throw in some stuff from other leagues too, like throw in a like hardest shot. They don't do that in the MLS skills competition, but that could be kind of neat. See who can kick the ball the hardest. Now, you don't necessarily get injured, but do what you can to avoid that. And then in terms of an actual all-star game. I don't love the idea of playing against uh, another team because in reality, if the CPL goes out and gets a big team from Europe, they're going to lose that and quite sizably yeah, likely. Yeah. So I, I would like sort of this, this fantasy draft. You you pick teams and you, you pick two stars of the league. Um, in the past, you would say like Marco Bustos pick one of the teams and pick another star, whether that's a blue tabla in the past. And you you draft your teams, you play against each other, throw in some magic 2 gold balls or some silly things like that. Um, but make it fun. Make it not too hard to understand. Um, but don't necessarily go outside of the CPL with the effort.
1: Look, the, the all-star games, the, the formula is very simple. It's, again, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. If you want a good all-star game, you, want, you the players... F- simply have to give a shit. Uh, pardon my French there in terms of the language. They have to give a shit. And what was the problem with the NHL games? They did not care. It was confusing. Like, that was just... Forget the confusion. They no, just but did... Like, they didn't care. No, no one wants to watch a bunch of guys coast around.
0: All-Star weekend in the NHL is very much an excuse for everybody to go on vacation, get absolutely plastered, and enjoy themselves. So they will not care about the All-Star game. That's what you
2: have well, to do that's ma- what I'm going to say, because most of the players in the NHL don't even want to go that's no, NBA oh, man, that's NBA the... players get frustrated for not getting named to also rosters in Promises NHL bonuses could probably be part of it the NHL too. they celebrate not but, getting but
1: that's that's why i say the, the give a shit meter is so important because look at the all-star game that was in Toronto a week ago the PHF you know the the, the you know top professional women's league in North America for hockey they had their all-star game and we went it was fun why because the players here were trying it was like they were skilled they were scoring nice goals there was checking there was like there was a certain level of intensity then you watch like the other all-star games and guys skating like with their chests all pointed to the sky like just coming in and trying to pass the puck into the net and you see that with with soccer as well i mean there hasn't been much all-star games one thing that the, that MLS has gotten right is that by incentivizing, okay, you guys are gonna go out and play Bayern, you guys are gonna go out and play Juventus, you know, even if you're gonna go play Liga MX All-Stars, so there's that rivalry they they've cared and at least the quality has been good so i think if the cpl is going to bring an all-star game which again i do think there's benefits as long as the players care because it's great to have the engagement it's great to get closer to the players really you know maybe market your league to new fans you just have to create any sort of format so that the players are caring of course there's a line you don't want guys out there breaking legs in all-star games because then you explain to their team that their star player broke a leg in the all-star game but no matter what format it is no matter if it's you bring in a european team if you play you know, the N T B team. If you play, you know, Bolivia or, or, or maybe like, I don't know, like Curacao or something like that or if you do international CPLers versus Canadian CPLers, whatever format you do, maybe incentivize, yeah, with, maybe incentivize with money. Okay, winners get 10K each, 20K each so that they at least go out and care and there's a bit of intensity. Fans will love it and I think it would be interesting. I think, hey, the international versus Canadians maybe could be the way to go. I there. actually quite like that idea. There's uh, 56 internationals in the league, of course, seven per team and then so eleven picking eleven from fifty six, it's not like there's going to be any default. And there's around hundred plus Canadians. That could be a fun way to pick some teams, oh and gosh. then you, you you figure out who who you get the bragging rights. You throw some money on the line, maybe even a trophy. Could be a fun way to keep some engaged fans, and then go from there, move it around. I'm sure fans in Pacific would love to have it one year. You go to Halifax, yeah, you, you you go to the, you know maybe when Saskatchewan stadium's there, you go to Saskatoon, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's what the the matters with the All-Star game because it's a great idea in terms of you get all your league stars in one place. What more can you want? I remember as a kid, I'm like, I want to go to an All-Star game so bad for the NHL. I want to go see, you know, Crosby. I want to go see all the Ovechkin, all these guys play together. You know, for, for, for kids, it's, it's a great event. They just have to care because you don't want to go see a bunch of stars and not care.
2: Like, what's the point? I think it could be entertaining to take that World versus Canada idea and put it into some seven-aside format. Because yeah. I think that that's shown great success is putting into a smaller, more fun futsal. format. Exactly. it would be futsal. hilarious
1: to see, like, Ali <laughs> <Ollie> Bassett, <laughs> you know, Ali Bassett and, uh, you know, some of the other international guys leading a seven-a-side futsal match against, like, <laughs> you know, against all the other Canadians in the league, like couldn't lay Kunle Dad, Luke, and Heck, I mean, if you, you had it earlier, you had Mo Farsi played with Canadian futsal exactly. so. Like, have fun with it. As long as you do any sort of format, people care. Maybe you do some sort of series where you play... One game of futsal, one game of of eleven aside, one game of seven aside outside, and one game of like pana rules, and like the winner of the best of five series wins or something like that.
0: I, I do like the internationals versus Canada. I, I don't think having a friendly against a club or a national team would necessarily drive people to the event. Anyway, so just keep it within the league for now until it maybe gains a bit of a stronger footprint in Canada. Um, But it it does all go back to the point Alex made that you made. They do have to care. And I think maybe adding a bit of a prize pool could possibly help incentivize them. I don't think that they would have any sort of issue with that, but it could
2: probably help in, in a way. And from four turns at four turns, what are the takeaways for the CPL from the interest that generated in North America by Wrexham, especially among non footy fans? How do you view MLS fans criticizing Americans for following Wrexham rather than an MLS team and their view that ESPN is covering Wrexham better than MLS? And to be fair, I do think ESPN is covering Wrexham better than MLS. And for years, ESPN had a lot of the MLS rights, but I think overall it's fantastic to see people, one, just watching soccer and giving it, a little bit of attention because maybe it's not going to be a ton. Maybe it's one in 20. But if there's one in 20 people who are interested in, oh, I like this sport. I kind of want to see it live. They look up New York soccer and they come around to New York city FC and whatever it is. Yeah. Whoever it is. But you know,
0: look, when it comes to the criticism, like people are going to watch what they want to watch. And to me, like I really could not care less about whether people are into Rexham or supporting their MLS team. People are going to do what they want to do. Just let them be. When it comes to the CPL side of this, I think it goes back to when you find a, a cool story that appeals to locals, because obviously Wrexham, I think one of the biggest attractions is, is that these big Hollywood stars come in, they take over the club, but then they appeal to the local community, and, and they they make everybody feel welcome and inclusive and whatnot. That's what the CPL has to do. I've said this so many times on this show. It starts by targeting local. You look at the most successful clubs in the league when it comes to attendance, when it comes to general attention, what have you, it's because they started targeting the local demographic. Pacific FC. Targeted local, have a strong local footprint. Same with Forge, same with HFX. Ottawa has made massive inroads in that regard. Valor started off strong. They dipped a little bit because the performances weren't there. They're starting to win again. The fans are coming back. Cavalry during the summer does attract very good crowds. It's the Yorks and obviously the Edmontons as well because Edmonton folded in the end where they just didn't get it right. And I think the CPL in general for a couple years did not understand that. I think now they're starting to. That to me is the key here. That's what you what I think of in terms of learnings to borrow a Herdmanism um, when I look at Wrexham and then compare it to the CPL and what they could learn from that documentary.
1: Look, I think there's two sides of this that I understand because I feel both. I think one, it's I get the side of MLS at least the What I would have loved if Ryan Reynolds, known Vancouver, right, invested in like a Vancouver FC, of course. Like, uh, you'd like to see him be confident enough of the state of the sport in their country to invest locally when there's a World Cup, a men's World Cup coming up, to invest in the men's league, maybe invest in the women's league too, looking for partners. I'd love that. And I get that from teams to be like, oh, why are these Americans investing in Europe when there's soccer right here? But But to that point, what, what I'd counter myself by saying is, the infrastructure isn't here because what, what do you get with Wrexham? It's a story where you get yeah. to go bottom to top with the Premier League. Like That's the goal in the end of the day. Like- and if they're
0: investing in Wrexham and they're not investing locally... Clearly, financially, that says to you, oh, there's more money to be made and/or more financial opportunity with this club than it is in Canada, and that just is true. Like as well, much as so Canadian soccer is growing, there becomes. isn't money in Canadian soccer to that level where investors like him are going to look at it and think, oh yeah, this will this will be quite worthwhile
2: for me. It's just the truth. Well, what would he get building a Canadian soccer club? Say he wants to invest in League One. It's not like he's getting promoted up to the to, no to it's MLS up, or the CPL. Even if Pro Rel comes in. If he makes a CPL club, well, he's probably gonna be competitive off the bat because the tools are there to do that. Whereas you buy into Rexum, you get this, this pro-rel system, you get this established system, and you get the ability to tell a story. And both these guys are storytellers, both these guys are people who have made their careers taking on characters, taking on other people's stories, and telling stories. And so these guys just want to continue telling a story with Rexum, and that's exactly what they're doing. And People are going to watch. People find that entertaining. And that's the Premier League effect. Because if they took over a team in the U.S. or Canada, people will look and say Canadian soccer, U.S. soccer. They're not going to be interested at that same level. Of course, all of you listening to the podcast are going to be interested at a Mm -hmm. much greater level. But the general public is not going to be interested by somebody building a club in the U.S. or Canada.
1: Well, there's no incentive because it's like MLS. Yes, you can buy in early and get a 5 million club that's not worth a billion today. Like, you see LAFC valued over a billion, but then you're stuck in this closed-door shop where, yeah, your team's worth a billion, but is LAFC going to sell for a billion tomorrow? No, it's one of those where the value gets inflated a tad. And, yeah, I just think it's one where it shows the European soccer system and the potential it offers, so I do not blame them whatsoever. And I think, if anything, it's great what Wrexham is doing because... I see a day like today, we're recording where Wrexham unfortunately lost to Sheffield United. Good game though. In the FA Cup, in the replay, it's a it's a game of a fifth-tier team versus a second-tier team in England men's soccer. And I see people I know who don't watch soccer talking about it. That can only be good news. Because usually that's World Cups that bring that sort of interest. Usually that's Canada playing the biggest game of their, their lives to get that sort of interest. So any time that people are talking about soccer, I think that could eventually turn into, hey, there's a, a local team in York that plays soccer or when two months time the TSS Rovers a team full of semi-pro players are going to host a professional team uh, at one of the more historic stadiums in Canada and people are going to start to realize that there are stories here that maybe aren't of the level of, of, of Wrexham the whole bottom to the top you know it started from the bottom now we're here it's the type of vibe but there's still a lot of other phenomenal stories out there in Canadian soccer for them to grasp to so that's why I'm eventually for well not eventually but I am ultimately for stories like Wrexham even though I do understand the frustration of yeah it would be great if like Ryan Reynolds, if you are listening out here, like you know, Canadian women's soccer is coming, and you you know you could get in the ground floor on something potentially awesome there.
2: And from David Anthony at a underscore Miller sixteen, what do you think the real quality differences between CPL and USL would some sort of preseason tournament between the two leagues be possible?
0: I don't think it would be just based on the 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 timing of the season starting, but. When you look at the real quality difference, you know I've spoken to a few players who have played in both leagues recently, and the overall takeaway, I think, is that just from top to bottom, and I know this is such a very simplistic take, but there are more players of certain quality... In different areas of the pitch more so than in the CPL for now and that's just a virtue of the USL has been around longer they offer slightly higher wages so you can attract better players and in due time the CPL is gonna get there we just saw them raise the minimum wage it's only gonna get better from here you would imagine so really that that is the, the the one quality difference when when you look like team for team it's not too drastic but then when you start looking at the individual players per position specifically in defense I think that's where you end goalkeeping as well. That's where you really start to see a, a bit of a contrast.
1: Well, I think I'd argue for on the USL side is that it's way bigger, though. I've it noticed exists. that, like, the top teams, yeah, the USL top teams are good. You see it when teams like Sacramento make the run in the US Open Cup. Like, they're littered with former MLS players. Like, they they can play, whereas the bottom USL teams are very different. Just that's the size. And in, ter- in terms of answer the answering the original question of, of David Anthony, I don't think it's possible... Purely because yeah, I think it would be great to compare the leagues. But if you're the CPL, you have no reason to want to. Why? No. Why? Why? Because you're a tier one league in Canada. You're Canada's top men's league. And you're also
0: your players too. And, and you're, that's play, you're playing
1: a league that's considered Div Two. So why would you want to go up and and yeah. go up against a Div Two league? On paper, you would have more reason to want to go play MLS teams and improve yourself in that mm. way. So which they do little, in the Canadian like, Championship. Yeah. So, that's, so it's one where they have no incentive to want to do that from that regard course all things removed you'd love to see how they'd match up but I just don't think it's one that due to those reasons like you saw with the fury thing and how the, the, the things went there <laughs> like it's one where understandably when you have a tier one league you, you know you're you're not going to be wanting to compare yourself with other tier two you know tier three leagues that you want to go up against the other tier one leagues and it makes sense
2: league one bc and league one canada's varsity fc is officially rebranded as natua fc after hope and health purchased the club in january And that's more FC. I absolutely love the crest. I love the name. It's lovely. It means one heart, one mind. From Matt Paternostra, at Matt Paternostra, when could we see all League One Canada teams play in the Canadian Championship and would an FA Cup style format work for them?
0: Yes, I think it would. That would be the dream. Um, In terms of when we could see all the League One Canada teams playing in there or maybe just a, a bigger pool, I would say, in the next couple of years. That is the plan. That is the strategy from League One Canada. We're already seeing... The League 1 BC champions, the PLSQ champions, and the L1O champions are already competing. It's only going to be a matter of time until they're added to it.
1: Well, League 1 BC wasn't even supposed to be in this year, so no. they're already working on an accelerated timeline. Mm-hmm. I think the only big constraint is financially, because again, yes. how do you get Harborside, FC, and Nanaimo to go, say they draw Halifax? I think it's going to be one where, unfortunately... A gonna, stopovers <laughs> involved in that one. You're going to need to get some sort of regional format maybe to start where again we're already seeing it with east and west this year like with the pro teams like Mm -hmm. just keep everything bracketed and then as the games go on you then mix everyone together so i think once they start to get the financials worked out and that's going to come with more years of the competition and the revenue and then of course the women's and men's teams doing well and bringing revenue in that way so i think there's a it's going to be like that in the future but it's really the big constraints now is financially because i think you see these sorts of stories, it makes a lot of sense. Like, I think it's it's going to be special to see Rovers host Valor. It's going to be special to see Vaughn play Montreal, because that's the mm-hmm. first time we're seeing a, a semi-pro team versus an MLS team. Like These sort of storylines matter, and I think uh, you know they would be uh, dumb not to realize that, and I do think they realize that it's just about a matter of figuring out financials to, to make it work.
2: And I do think when you take a look at how the tournament could work, you're probably looking at a potential... Style somewhat to the US Open Cup, where you're looking at regions, and unfortunately, you are going to get very similar matchups from year to year in the first few rounds, but you still have the possibility for the upsets, the the Mm -hmm. Wrexham magic of the cup stories, but you're not necessarily doing the FA Cup because, as we saw uh, in England, we have Pep arguing and complaining about four and a half hour bus rides, which um, four and a half hours is is jump change when you take a look at CPL and MLS. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) exactly. And from Michael Rice at Mike Rice 1983 who's going to provide the biggest shock in the Canadian Championship? For me, it's. More disgusting TSS BC Bias. Rovers.
0: Yes, exactly. Damn I was going to say the same thing. TSS Rovers, because they're hosting Valor, one off game, local support. Valor's going to meet. Too. Yeah, and they're going to meet Calvary or Pacific in the quarterfinals. So, yeah, I'll say them. BC Bias all the way.
1: The thing is, I wanna go all in on the rover because I know that organization. I know they're gonna go all in. The only thing that does hurt them is a lot of their standouts. Like Gabo Escobar was excellent in the final. He starts for Halifax now. Like that's a key piece. You're not gonna be able to get back. There's the fact that their season isn't gonna start till like May June, so they're not. They're gonna have to get an accelerated preseason. Whereas you know these CPL teams are gonna be in the first few weeks of their season. So I just think in terms of timing, that is gonna hurt them. Uh, a, a bit, so I am not gonna, you know, in terms of the Rovers, the home advantage helps and the path they have to the final, it helps. But, you know, I'm gonna go. I think whoever comes out of the Pacific FC versus Cavalry FC matchup could very well go to the final just because you look at that side of the bracket, they get the winner of Rovers versus Valor at home. And I think that's a matchup either way they'd fancy themselves in being Pacific or Cavalry, given how strong they are. Then you either get York United, which could be a dark horse, but given on their signings. Uh, or Vancouver but fellow CPL teams you'd back Mm -hmm. or the Whitecaps which again the Whitecaps the team to beat right now as we mentioned in terms of their squad and also the holders they're in Champions League early on maybe they make a run in Champions League they get injuries we've seen it happen Montreal last year I'm sure would have loved to make a deep run TFC wiped them out just because they got them at the right time in terms of injuries and depth all of a sudden you're in a final and anything can happen so I'd say watch whoever comes out of that Pacific versus Cavalry match because the bottom of the brackets a dogfight like the fact that you can get montreal versus tfc in the quarterfinals love it love it but uh in terms of that top side everything's wide open especially when you had the whitecaps participation in ccl
2: and for matthew Fryerchuk at mph legend 10 any updates besides the score from the first friendly of the u17 camp or how certain players have performed in training
0: ruben de saw apparently turned some heads from what i've heard um they also appear to be sticking with a relatively TFC-dominant backline. Other than that, uh, I really have no other information, but they they played their first game in less than a
2: week, so I guess we'll we'll find out how they're progressing. It's certainly just positive that they're having these youth camps as well, and Nick Bontis was on a, a, another podcast as well, and he was saying that a lot of the reason that they didn't have these camps is because, well, first of all, the budget's not necessarily there for these youth camps, but also there weren't these tournaments, Concacaf cancelled tournaments, FIFA cancelled tournaments. But now they have tournaments to prepare for and Canada wants to do well in these tournaments. So it's good that they're at least having these youth camps.
0: hundred percent, yeah. And, and case in point, they have some dual nationals in there that they can kind of get in the door early and potentially sway them
2: one way or another. And that'll be it for episode 107 of the Northern Football Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen or see our podcast content and follow us on social as well, at PWGalindo, at AlexGongeruzik, and at BenSteiner00. For Peter, for Alex, I'm Ben. Thanks so much for tuning in to episode 107 of the Northern Football Podcast.